0: This morning we're wrapping up a series that we've been looking at over the summer thinking about the fact that um, God is with us even when there seems to be nothing normal in the world. Um, You know, we're we're all reacting right now, responding to uh, the presence of something we can't see, something very tiny, right? This coronavirus it, it doesn't seem like it's that big, right? It's microscopic, um, and we, we, we can't always see it. So it, it's, it's not, dealing with the coronavirus is not the same thing as responding to the drama of a hurricane or to a forest fire. You know, there, there are some dangers in the world that are so big in scope and scale and so uh, powerful when you just witness them that you know they're dangerous. And then there are other more subtle dangers in the world, right? Things that don't seem that significant, maybe, at first. Things that you can't see, they won't make the same kind of headline and visual drama as the hurricane or the forest fire, and yet, deadly. That's the kind of danger we learn about today from 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to hear about an enemy that God's people have, an adversary, an accuser. And we're going to hear about the weapon that he uses. And when we identify it, our first thought might be, that doesn't sound so big. That doesn't seem so scary. That doesn't seem so dangerous. But it's one of these small, subtle dangers that really can threaten the well-being of our soul. And undermine our relationships with each other, and with God. Good news is, Jesus has the cure. Let's listen as the scriptures are read from one Peter chapter five. Jordan Lynn's going to read for us today.
1: This morning's scripture reading is one Peter chapter five, verses five through eleven. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God let's take a moment and pray together as we get ready to listen to more of what God has to say to us through his word. Lord, we give thanks to you for Jordan uh, reading the scriptures for us, but uh, we've already acknowledged earlier as we thought about membership in the church, as we thought about baptism, that the outward has to correspond to the inward, just as our ears have heard the scriptures. Now we pray that our hearts would hear. So may we take in and absorb deeply everything that you have to say to us. For some of us, that will be a real challenge because you will say things that we may not want to hear, things that we may not want to agree are true. Would you give us the grace to listen by the power of your Holy Spirit? Change us so that every part of our heart that would resist you today would instead welcome hearing from you. We pray through Jesus. Amen. You heard Peter say we have an enemy, the devil, and he wants to destroy us. This is what First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says. Be sober-minded. Have your wits about you. We thought about that last week. Be watchful. Wake up. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The word could also be translated destroy. Well, how do lions destroy things? Devouring them. We have an enemy, and he wants to destroy us, and there's a part of us that might now start looking for the hurricane or the forest fire, looking for the big, dramatic, flashy visual. This cartoon image of a devil's got a pitchfork and he's going to destroy us by poking us. Or this sometimes equally cartoonish idea of a devil who burns people. And so we're looking for this dramatic, visual, super dangerous, headline kind of devil. But here's what we're told. The tool that the devil will use to destroy us is anxiety-praying, on pride. Anxiety, well, that doesn't seem as dramatic as these other cartoon images we might have. That's not the hurricane or the forest fire. Pride, well, that's not that bad a thing, is it? That coronavirus isn't that dangerous, is it? <laughs> this tiny little microscopic thing you can't even see and it's going to destroy people. Yeah, anxiety, feeding on the fuel of pride, will destroy us. That's not me trying to soften what Scripture says. That's us just listening to what Scripture says. Our our enemy, the devil, wants to destroy us. And in the context, how do we resist him? Well, what are the tools he's going to use? One is anxiety, and the text tells us about that in verse 7. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, verse 6 says. How do we do that? Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That's the way you can be sober-minded and watchful so that your enemy, the devil, won't devour you because he's going to use anxiety feeding on pride to destroy you. How do we know that pride is an issue? Well, we look at the text again. It says in verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's, There's a couple of kinds of opposition going on in the Scripture text. God is opposed to the proud. Well, what's the other opposition we see? Your enemy, the devil, wants to destroy you. God is opposed to what the devil stands for. One of the things he stands for is pride. This is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. So this is wisdom that God's people have had, both in the Old Testament and here again, as Peter says it in the New. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The word used for pride here in uh, verse 5 God opposes those who are proud. It could be literally translated like something like this. The desire to be seen, to be above. To be seen, to be above. So so not simply the desire to be above others. That's one form of pride. I want to think that I'm better than everybody else. But the particular form of pride in view here is not just the desire to be better than everyone else. It's the desire for everybody to see that I am better, to see that I am above. I've heard a story, um, true story, of a pastor who was uh, of normal height like myself. And um, you can laugh if you'd like. That was supposed to be a joke. Um, Everyone else is awkwardly tall, and uh, some of us are of normal height. Well, this pastor was, like myself, of normal height. It was not awkwardly tall. But an assistant pastor came to the church who was about six or eight inches taller. The assistant pastor preached one week. The very next week, the senior pastor had a box to stand on so that in the pulpit he could be seen to be above. That's the idea here. There are times when we want everybody to see that I am better. It's tied to this fear of being shamed and ridiculed and rejected, and that is the devil's great tool. There is one verse in the New Testament that tells us that the devil is our enemy who seeks to destroy us, and it's right here in the context of a discussion of pride and humility. The devil's greatest weapon will be the anxiety that says, I'm about to be shamed, I'm about to be ridiculed, I'm about to be rejected. And so that leads us to become anxious and feel that the most important thing in the world is that these people right here, right now, accept me and celebrate me and honor me. And there's nothing more important in the world than wherever I am in this moment. That these people would see me to be above would see me to be better would see me to be strong not weak would see me to be wise not foolish would see me to be popular not left out and that anxiety that there's something about me that other people won't celebrate there's something about me that other people will push away, and reject. There's something about me that other people would ridicule. The devil uses that anxiety to cause us to stumble into the trap of pride. Peter uses the image of a lion prowling around looking for prey. So The devil's lie would sound something like this. In your heart and mind. In a world of lions, you are nothing more than a helpless little sheep. In a world of lions, there is nothing about you that could even begin to compare. Think of the lion, right? Those teeth, those claws, that roar that can paralyze other animals with fear, Ever, all these tight, bulging muscles tense and ready to pounce, the sheer power. And then we think of a sheep. Now, why am I mentioning sheep? Well, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and in the early verses of this chapter, uh, we're told that we are God's flock and that God has given us shepherds, elders, to shepherd the flock, and that Jesus is the chief shepherd of the flock. So we're all sheep. And when you compare a sheep to a lion, what do you get, right? I mean, the, the sheep says I'm going to gnaw you with my tiny little mouth. I will tear you apart like I munch this grass. You should tremble in fear because I might rub you with my fuzzy wool. I might shake my tail at you. Sheep's got nothing compared to a lion. So the devil is whispering in our hearts all the time in a world of lions, You're nothing more than a sheep. The people you want to be celebrated by, there's nothing about you that makes them want to celebrate you. The people you want to be honored by, there's nothing that would make them want to honor you. That anxiety gets a a hold of our hearts, and it makes us want to do whatever it takes to become a lion. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. Do whatever it takes to be seen to be above so that we can win the praise of the lions around us. Might start with keeping your distance from other sheep. Might start with keeping a safe distance from other people who call themselves Christians because you don't really want to be too associated with them. Because that's a very sheepish thing to do. And if you're trying real hard to be a lion, you keep your distance. It might lead to joining in whenever the lions start to attack another sheep. Piling on. It might might come to a point that the chief shepherd, Jesus, starts to call out to you. And you decide, whatever I do, I'm not going to listen to his voice because that's a dead giveaway that I'm not a lion. If you listen to the voice of a shepherd, you're proving that you're not a lion. And so if you have this deep-seated anxiety that says, I really want other people to celebrate me, I want them to honor me, I want to be seen as successful, I want to be seen as desirable, and you're afraid that that will not happen, you are now ripe to be destroyed, by pride, to do whatever it takes to be seen to be above, to win the praise of the lions. And you can see, you can see how our adversary, the devil, doesn't need to poke us with a pitchfork. Doesn't need to burn us with fire. He has a far more subtle and dangerous weapon in his arsenal. It's this fear, this anxiety that makes us ready to fall into the trap of pride when we face that kind of temptation what are we called to do we are called to do the hard work of humbling ourselves listen again to what verse 5 says you who are younger be subject to the elders now here we're using those terms metaphorically Peter's been talking about the elders, the leaders of the church, and so everybody who's younger is everybody who's not an elder in the church. Hey, church members, demonstrate the humility of following the leadership of other people, other imperfect people. People so imperfect they needed Jesus to redeem them from their flaws. Can you show the humility of following imperfect leaders? And then, verse 5 goes on to say, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. What does that mean? Well, it means, it means in the heat of the moment, something happening in our hearts that says, I think this is a time when I could be seen to be above you if I would just ignore you. If I would just walk by you like you don't exist. That would prove that I'm better than you. And if other people could see me do that, I know it would hurt you badly. But guess what? It would make me a lion. So this is one of those moments when I could be seen to be above by ignoring you or by saying bad things about you. They might be true things. They might be false things. But if I can say some bad things about you, it will somehow bring you down and bring me up if i could hurt you in some way it shows that i've got power over you it humiliates you and i steal some of the honor that belongs to you and i i get it for myself or maybe even i pretend to love you and serve you but i just do it in a very condescending way oh here let me help you with that i once had that problem now i've overcome it too bad for you but i'm happy to help All of these temptations, this is a moment where I could do those things. I could show that I am above. I could show that I'm better. But now, I won't. Instead of being seen to be above, I don't mind being seen to be with you. I don't mind if others see me being for you instead of over I don't mind if others see me being a servant underneath you whose priorities are far less important than yours. That's hard work. but That's the work of humility. And that's what it means to resist the devil, right? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary is prowling around, verse 8 says. Verse 9 says, resist him. Resist him. How do we do that? Well, we're in this context where we've been hearing so much about humility versus pride. We do the hard work of humility in our relationships with each other. We're also called to do the hard work of humility in our relationship with God. Listen again to verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. He knows that it hurts to be shamed. He knows that it hurts to be ridiculed. He knows that it hurts to be rejected. How does He know those things? He has experienced them Himself The very first verse of this chapter, Peter says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. We humble ourselves before God by remembering that He is a God who has been shamed. That that He knows what it is to be ridiculed and rejected. He knows what it is to be part of a suffering people. Jesus has suffered. Verse 9 says that our brotherhood throughout the world is experiencing suffering. We suffer as those who, who know a God who understands how to experience shame and ridicule and rejection. But there's another part of the story of Jesus, isn't there? Our God wants us to be honored and celebrated and embraced. Wait a minute. I, I thought I thought pride wants to be celebrated and honored and embraced. No, no, no. Pride wants to be celebrated, honored, and embraced at the expense of someone else. It is not wrong for us to desire to be celebrated, to be honored, to be affirmed. It is wrong for us to go snatch that for ourselves from others. How do we know this? We we listen to God. Listen to what he says in verse 6 Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do we know that God wants us to be honored and celebrated and affirmed? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. We know that God wants to exalt and lift up those who have poured out their lives in suffering because he did that for his son after the crucifixion came resurrection god wants you to be exalted he just doesn't want you to exalt yourself and that's the devil's trap is to say to you that if you're ever going to have any good thing you got to get it for yourself right here right now this is as good as ever going to get take the opportunity while you have it whereas the story of jesus says to us no Wait. Wait for God to give to you that which is greater than anything you could get for yourself. And where does this all lead? How can we do all of this hard work of humbling ourselves? That will only happen if we are certain of one thing, that our God cares for us. The devil's greatest weapon, according to this passage, is anxiety that's going to tempt us toward pride. And what is the cure for anxiety? Listen to what the scriptures say. Right? Verse 7 cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you the things that have to do with you matter to him he cares for you he is the god of all grace verse 5 says that god opposes the proud but he gives grace to people who are humiliated. He gives grace to people who are rejected. He gives grace to people who are crucified and despised and treated as though they are worth nothing. He gives grace. And then we're told again before the passage ends, verse 10, that He is the God of all grace, who after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore you. He will make you strong again. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. He is the God of all grace. To get ahead with Him, you don't have to be seen to be above. What freedom! You don't have to play the I'm above everybody else game. And win for God to love you cast your anxiety on him he cares for you he is the God of all grace you don't have to play that game to get ahead with him you don't have to become this cruel awful person who humiliates other people you don't want to be that person you don't have to be that person because he is the God of grace He gives honor to people who don't deserve it. He gives honor to people who have done nothing to earn it. He celebrates people because he loves them, not because there's anything awesome about them that deserves to be celebrated. He is the God of all grace to get ahead with him. I don't have to be a lion. I don't have to be constantly comparing my muscles to everybody else's. Say, see, I'm not a sheep. I'm strong. I don't have to be showing how sharp my claws are. That I'm always ready to attack. There can be moments of weakness when I'm just helpless and defenseless. And I say, God, I got nothing. And I'm nobody Will you give me grace anyway? And his answer will always be, because of Jesus, yes. I'm the God of all grace. Imagine the greatest grace, the greatest gift, the greatest kindness and mercy you could ever think of. It's not big enough. It's not enough. He's the God of all grace. All is more than whatever you can imagine. Imagine it. Stretch your imagination as big as it can go. Still not big enough. He's the God of all grace. To get ahead with him. You don't have to be a lion. A man named Howard Marshall passed away a few years ago. He was my Ph.D. advisor and a world-renowned New Testament scholar. People literally came from all over the world to study under Howard at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And so it was always fun to hear people tell the story of their first encounter meeting him. Because for most of us, the first time we met Howard, we had no clue. The story would usually run something like this. You run into a brand new student in the hallway, and you say, Grace, great to meet you. What's your name? I'm Atef. Where are you from, Atef? I'm from Egypt. Great to meet you. I'm Jimmy. I'm from the U.S. It's, we're going to be in this together for a few years. Great." Um, and, and then you know, maybe Atef would say, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting Professor Marshall. Where would I go to meet him? uh well uh do you know where to go well, someone told me to go to the uh, to the the office and and uh, you know of, of the new testament department is is that the right place Yeah well where would you find that out? The new student would say, "Well, I bumped into this elderly gentleman out in the uh, courtyard here, and um, I looked kind of lost and so he walked up to me and he said, "Can I help you and i said yeah i 'm wondering." you know, where I go to meet my professor. And, uh, well, the office is just through there if you need to go fill out any paperwork. And then you get to drop the bombshell on them and say, that was Howard. Yeah, the, the kind man standing in the courtyard looking for lost students to help them find their way. That was Howard. And then they would almost always say the same thing. That was the Howard? The Howard? Like when people put a the in front of your name, you know you're something, right? That was the Howard? Yeah, but you would never know it from meeting him. He was just Howard, the servant, who wanted to help people. How could he do that? How, how can someone have a heart that says, I know that all of these people have traveled from around the world just because they've heard of me? and they want to study with someone as brilliant as I am how could you keep from that making you an arrogant know-it-all constantly parading your greatness before other people how could you just become servant and the answer is you got something a lion will never have A lion has teeth and he's got fangs and he's got muscles and he's got power and he can intimidate you with his roar, but a lion will never have a shepherd. Lions don't travel in flocks tended by a shepherd. A lion travels in a pride. I'm strong. I don't need a leader. I don't need someone to take care of me. We have an enemy, a roaring lion who wants to destroy us, and he will attack us through all kinds of anxiety that will tempt us toward pride, but we have something that a lion will never have. We have a shepherd who cares for us. That is the thing that will change us. That is the thing that will enable us to do the hard work of humility toward one another and toward God, knowing that we will never be left alone to prove how strong we are out in the jungle. We will always have a shepherd who has walked with us, suffered for us, and has risen in victory and shares that with us now. Let's give thanks to him. Lord Jesus, your Apostle Peter humbled himself in this chapter. He referred to himself not as an apostle, but just as a fellow elder, just one more shepherd of the flock. And he referred to you as the chief shepherd. Lord Jesus, stay near to us so that we will not become lions seeking to devour other people to prove how strong we are. Make us humble. Make us glad to suffer alongside Your people, even if it means shame, even if it means ridicule, even if it means hardship. We want to hear Your voice and go where You lead us. Be our shepherd now and forever, we pray in Your name. Amen.